Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. Hey, today's show, Benny, I don't know if we can do this. I don't know if you and me are going to be able to do this. Want to hear what we're talking about today? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. You ready? Stop talking. Start influencing. Yeah, good luck with radio, people. (laughs) How do you use brain science to make your message stick with author Jared Cooney? Horvath joining me here today, but I get what he's saying. Oh, sure. Um, It's, you know, we've heard this before, right, Benny? It's in the white space that, you know, on a piece of paper that people get the aha moments, but it's also in the pause that we have on radio where there is a deep taking in and understanding of what's going on or the questions that we ask, right? But today we're going to be kicking it up with Jared about what the misunderstandings are about how we learn right and then you know this phenomenal dr jared cooney horvath we're talking about today neuroscience educator he's going to fill us in on some stuff but he has been someone passionate beyond passionate research lectured at harvard harvard medical school you name it he's out in the world and there's something that must have got under his skin about this particular area of expertise which we're going to find out about but benny Benny, got to tell you a story. And Jared, Jared, you got to listen. Well, welcome to the show, Jared. Thank you so much for having me on. Okay, here, here's a story. One little story, and then we're going to dig deep. So I, for those of you out there, you heard me talk about the fact that my first real love outside of, you know, human beings is playing ping pong, table tennis, right? So there's something about table tennis that latched on to me at a very young age. I played competitively up until like 75. Then I went back to school. And about 18 months ago, I found a community here in the Pacific Northwest of people that play and I started play again. But what I've had to do, Benny and Jared, I've had to learn again how to play. Because the old style of playing and playing at hitting like a ball, like 50 miles an hour, the old style for me wouldn't work. So I had to learn something new, new style. The other thing I had to learn was that while I was pretty limber, you know, like Betty, you know, sports fit, right? Back in the day, not quite as sports fit. But here's what I want to talk about. I don't know, Pat. Jeff. I've seen some photos. They, they look, I know, they look pretty you know, fit. I'm, I'm just oh saying. Oh, my God. Betty, you should see. I'm going to have to send you a video. So I decided, <laughs> right, to go get lessons from an amazing man. So I'm going to just tell you who he is. Amazing man. Uh, Mr. Jin Lee opened up Seattle Table Tennis Club up in Everett, Airport Way. Mr. Jin Lee, the man is an icon, right? He is so good. Uh, And 
he said if I ever mentioned mentioned him on air, I should tell everybody how handsome he is. So there you go with that, right? And um, handsome. Very handsome. Uh, but honestly, I'm hitting a ball at a very fast speed. I don't know what he looks like. Um, but here we are. We're learning. And what I'm finding is that people ask me, why is it, Jared, yeah. I can learn a sport like this, the repetitive nature of a little white ball that comes at – it's the fastest racket sport on the planet. Yeah. That I can learn this. And right now what we're doing is we're strapping the racket, the little paddle bat to my wrist so I can learn not to do something. But how is it I could learn that and learn it so quickly, effectively, really catch on to it? Yeah. And yet I almost flunked out of my first year of graduate school at Claremont Graduate Institute because I could not grasp the concept of manually doing statistics. Oh, my goodness. A, I can't believe you had to manually do statistics. I'm so sorry. That is one of the hardest fields. And we thank goodness we have computers now because it just makes it so much easier. But here we get, I think everybody has their unique passions. So we always say you only learn what you think about. So I have this sneaking suspicion that outside of class time and worrying about it, you spent very little time thinking about statistics, whereas it's very clear you're passionate about table tennis. So even when you're not playing, you're still running through playing in your mind. And it turns out, as far as the brain is concerned, when you're thinking about something, that's almost just as good as doing it. It starts to change and physically update itself just wow. by thinking about it. So you can do a whole heap of learning. In fact, we do when we're not actually focused on the thing we're trying to learn, when we're just letting it percolate, when we're just talking about it, when we're just thinking about it at night before we go to bed. That's where a lot of big learning happens. Oh, my God. Did you just say that? Uh, for those of you, let me just tell you about it. For those of you just tuning in, you got to listen to this show, right? You know, Jared Cooney Horvath joining me here today. But the book, and we have got Benny, copies, five copies, Stop Talking, Start Influencing, 12 Insights from Brain Science to Make Your Message Stick. Why is it that my my coach, Mr. Jin Lee, gets yeah. me to make my message stick? But you just said something, and I had a very startling experience last night. Let me tell you what it is. Yeah. I love the sport. There's nothing like it. It doesn't matter what goes on in my day. It doesn't matter how my day unfolds. The minute that I, if I can actually get on the court to play, and I, many people out there know what I'm talking about. The minute I get there and I start that process from the time that I put on my sneakers to go play, I am in my happy space. Yeah. And so last night, somebody said something to me that apparently rattled me. And I think this has to do with learning. I hit the ball so hard. Two people said, wow, Patty's really angry. And I said, <laughs> no, this is my happy place. I'm not angry. So I Don't ever mistake passion for oh, anger. Oh, my no. gosh. I know. So let's talk about this. Come home last night, going to bed, kind of, kind of, you know, just falling asleep. And my hand jerks like I'm yeah. taking a shot. And I wake up startled because here I am dreaming about how to play. And now I got to ask you, most people will say she's obsessed. I have other things I love that I have the same feeling about radio as part of it. 
How yeah. do you help us tease apart the learning process, the influencing process, and more importantly, what we want to become in the world? Oh, I love it. Oh, you, it, what? You, speaking of, I just want to go back. It turns out that when you're asleep, that's typically when we're what we call consolidating memories. So when you're dreaming, we think what's happening is your brain is essentially replaying moments, ideas, thoughts, actions from that day in order to really lock them down. So it's it's it, if you swung the the paddle right as you were going to sleep, that's clearly one of the first memories your brain was trying to lock down. So that's a clear sign that that your brain was saying this is something we want to hold on to this table tennis is really important to us. So I think that's super cool. Whatever whatever those little mini dreams you get as you're falling asleep, you can assume that's the really important stuff from the day that your your brain, your body is saying, let's hold on to this. Now, in terms of the learning process, that's what, believe it or not, at the end of the day, we all learn, although we all have different passions, we all have different interests, we all have different dreams, when you strip it as far back as you can go, we all learn in exactly the same pattern. The patterns don't change. Whether you're five years old or you're 50, whether it's golf or statistics, it's the same general process we go through, the same steps. So I always say once you kind of start to learn the process of learning, that's really the only transferable skill we know. You know how a lot of people talk about future-proofing skills, so for an uncertain future. And, and they all talk about we need uh, creativity, we need critical thinking. This is all good, but really the only true future-proof skill is knowing how to learn because that's adaptation. That's the ability to step into any realm you want and know how to start at the beginning and push really quickly through the process of figuring it out, of making it stick for you. So that's why I'm still, I'm still really curious about your you and statistics. What did, Do you know what you found so difficult about it? Oh, boy. Are you ready for this? Bring it on. So here is how I learned I was learning different, right? That's the term that yep, we yep. now use, the politically correct term for uh, a label that I had most of my life, that I was slow, that I didn't learn like other people. Uh, yeah. at, one, at one point, I had a diagnosis of autism. And okay. so, uh, and, you know, and I didn't even know what any of that meant. But here's the cool thing, and that's why I love your book, and I love what you bring into the table, because this is the key for everybody listening, for yourself, for your children, for your grandchildren. This is a copy of a book you're going to want. You're going to listen to what Jared is bringing forward here, because it helps us peel back the layers, the categories, the judgments on the people we love, because they're not doing things in the way we think they should. So here's the deal. I'm in statistics, right? And I'm in my first semester, and it's a full year of statistics before you can do the fun stuff in a doctoral program or graduate program, right? So yeah. here I am, and my friend Vinda comes in, and she sits next to me. She was late in class, and she's from Thailand, and she's trying to copy the formulas from my notes. And she's looking at the board, and she's looking at my notes, and she, she grabs my hand and says to me, what you're writing is wrong. That's not what's on the board. Really? Yeah. She said, you have to know, Vinda. She's like, what are you writing? <laughs> like, dude, <laughs> what are you writing? What are you doing? That, that's like not even close to being what he's got on the board. And I said, of course it is. It's exactly what's on the board. 
So here's what I discovered about me and the reason that very difficult for me to take any GRE test, any SAT test, anything like that, but highly successful in business, highly successful in concepts. What I learned is that when you speak and when you're speaking to me now, I don't see words. I see images. So anytime somebody says something to me, that's why my table tennis coach, when he says something to me, I'm not hearing his word. That's why I I could imagine that I'm dreaming about it. So what she said to me was, you're not getting it. What I discovered was that I could not see the formula as meaningful. But when Dale was explaining how the formula worked, I put down how the formula worked and not the formula. So once I figured that out, off I was. Now, I don't know what that's called. I know it has some kind of scientific learning name. I, I don't know. But it is the thing that helps me with no experience do a radio show like that. It's also the thing that can help me read through a book like yours in approximately two to three hours and yep, fully yep. grasp the concepts. But I could not tell you what the words say. Does that make sense to you, Jared? That makes perfect sense. You know, interestingly enough, we don't have an official diagnostic term that I can think of. I've, I've seen this pattern before, but I don't really know what it's called, but it's incredible. What you do is you latch on to patterns. You latch on to, to essentially the story behind the facts, and you can live in that story, in that concept, devoid of the facts, which is on one hand incredibly cool, and on the other hand incredibly scary for the teachers, such that <laughs> if it, sometimes we cover our tracks with what we write down. So I might say a certain thing and allow myself, you know, 20% wiggle room to be right or wrong. But later when you read the book, you know it's going to be 100% right. But yeah. in your case, you deal with that wiggle room as being part of the overall pattern. So if I speak even somewhat remotely, imperf- imperfectly, we'll say, you'll take that on board as being part of the pattern. And so that's, oh my goodness, I love it. Believe it or not, you're, the type of learning you do is what we try and help a lot of kids get to. Because a lot of them don't start there. They finish there. So if you just skip the first bit and jump right there, that's actually an incredible skill. But one of the things you've done in the book, and this is why I love what you've done. Probably I'm one of these people that would so latch on to the way and the style you wrote the book. The style of writing the book, to me, was important. Because what we're talking about today is to stop talking and start influencing. And how are you going to influence? So the flip side of this, and, and short, I'll tell you is that thing that almost caused me to flunk out in the first year became my strength. The minute we moved from statistics to theory, to concept, to the point where all of my research won awards, every single bit of it, because one of the things I could do is put pieces together. So I want to ask you this question. How does talking take away from our ability to influence. I think we have a tendency, especially when it comes to, say, presentations or teaching, um, to 
to almost want uh, and this goes back to what we were saying to almost want our words to be so perfect our logic to be so exacting and we're so focused on proving to other people our points that we miss that that's not how people learn believe it or not we can't take in massive amounts of information at one time and we certainly don't really bow ourselves to logic especially when it comes time to learning and influence so we need to kind of recognize okay if people aren't latching on to the facts in the way we're presenting them fact by fact by fact by fact how instead are they thinking about it and and almost like your what you would call it um a difficulty i would say is almost the route we need to be taking what is the story behind my facts? What am I using to support that story, that, that narrative? How am I having other people interact with and talk about that information? At the end of the day, one of the biggest things, so I'm, I spend most of my time in school working with teachers and students. One of the hardest but biggest lessons for teachers to learn is it's not about what we do. It's about what we ask our students to do. It's about what they're doing. And once you take that simple point and bring it into to other spheres of your life, into parenting, into business, you start to recognize how much we try and drive a ship that we're not driving, that mm -hmm. we've got to pass control over and see what other people do with it. Yeah. Uh, look, we're going to skip the break. I want to talk to you about a couple of things. Yeah. Um, you wrote this book, and I have a signature question, which I haven't asked you, but I would like to. Because what I found in 15 years on a career path that I, I got here by – oh, you got to love this. I, so I also transpose numbers, right? That's why yeah, like, yeah. I, have, I have two accountants. Um, <laughs> so I transpose a, a number, an 800 number in 03, dial into an internet-only radio station. And within 10 minutes, whatever the woman said to me that I spoke – who I spoke with, yeah. I bought my first hour of airtime for a lot of money, and I never looked back. Um, that decision has caused many difficulties in my life with relationships. But I want to ask you, I knew that this was my purpose, at, yeah. at, regardless of how many years I spent in school. What is it for you, challenges? What are some of the obstacles? What did you have to overcome to bring you to this very moment? And how did, if I might reference this from your book, Bub... Help you, <laughs> Bub. For the listeners, Bub is my wife. She, <laughs> so her real name is Amelia. But in in Australia, you know how we say baby in the U.S. Yeah. Down here, they don't say baby; they say Bub. So yep. that is so everyone. I when my mother first read that, she's like, "Who the heck is this Bub character?" <laughs> oh, geez, here we go. So I I originally I started as a teacher, and. That so Pat, my passion is still 100% in the classroom. I don't know. It was the first time I ever got in front of a group of kids that I felt like, oh, okay, this makes sense. All those things I've been trying, testing, playing around with finally clicked in that moment. Um, but then I realized I'm just not that good of a teacher, unfortunately. And I can't, I can't think of a harder lesson to learn than, man, I'm not good at the one thing I want to be good at. So I figured the only way I'm ever going to really improve that is going to be to go back to school and figure out how people learn. So I'd taken a we'd had our degree in teaching. I knew all those methods, but I still didn't understand how people take in, embody, 
personalize and then utilize information. So from there, I decided if I'm going to go back, I want to go back big. And that's why I kind of put Harvard on the top of my list. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm of the camp that if you want to do something, just do it. And there was a guy at Harvard that I really wanted to work with so I, because I'd read a book by him. So I called him out of the blue and said, can I come learn with you in your lab? He said, yep, but you got to take all these prereq courses because I'd never studied any of this stuff before in my life. So I had to spend a couple of years at community college just cramming science courses and med courses and all this crazy stuff. But finally got in and then, yeah, the last about 12 years, I've done nothing but start to lock this learning picture down. And I love it because once I finally put the pieces together, and it's not a fast process, it took me a while to move from kind of these simplistic pictures into these really complex pictures and then make have the ability to turn the complex back into simple so I could go teach others, bring them up to this level without having to go through all the fluff that I had to go through. And and in in all that time, and as you know, when you when you when you go through a doc doctoral program, Oh, the stressors can be everything. And it's so pointless. One, once the doctoral program's done, you realize no one reads your thesis. <clears throat> Excuse me. And everyone's just kind of – it's a process you have to go through. But when you're in it, yep. man, it is so tense. Oh. And that's where Bub really stepped in. As, as my wife, she was the one to kind of pull me back from the edge a couple yeah. of times and say, just relax, forget about it, take the next week off. When you think, oh, there's no way I can take a day off. She's like, no, you know what? We're going to the market or we're going to the fair. Do nothing today. I love so she her. keeps me sane. I oh, man, she's good. I love she's her already. <laughs> I, I do. You know what you just did by sharing that story? You completely validated that it is okay for me to take an afternoon away from my work because I'm the I own the the company and the network, but yeah. you know, look at my day starts at five and it doesn't end sometimes till eleven o'clock at night. And oh, if Bub man. were here now, Bub be saying, "We don't care how much you love what you're doing, Pat. That's close to insanity." So thank you, Bub, for this because guess what? I gave myself permission. Boy, I got to tell you, Jared, this was the hardest thing. It still is. Wednesday afternoons, I stop my work and I go play. Yeah. Right. And I have to do it because my team is like, honey, you need to take a break. You are just going to make us crazy. Right. Yeah. But part of this really ties back in and, and, and your wife is right. How do we refuel ourselves? And this gets back to learning. If yeah. I am learning something and, and this, this book is so good. I just love this book. I have to, I'm actually saving a copy giveaway for an 11 year old that I'm an auntie for uh, yeah, and her yeah. parents. Oh, I love it. Here's the deal for me. It is hard in our society. And I have a funny feeling this is why you, you wrote this book. But there had to be something you saw that hit an emotional nerve for you. Uh, you are an expert, <clears throat> you're a doctor. But for me, my emotional nerve was losing a job after 24 and a half years, watching an organization dysfunctionally fire people one month away from a full pension. I went back to school very fortunately and luckily, all the things lined up to study the consequences of psychological contract violation for 10 years. That is the consequence nice. of broken promises. I was depressed. However, 
It had never been studied before. My challenge fueled my passion. What fueled your passion here? Because what you've done here is so freeing for many of us to understand we're not broken. We're just different. You know, it's so funny you bring. So uh, listening to you share that, I'm thinking to myself, when I actually started, when I left the classroom and went into academia, my first thing I studied was brain stimulation. So I know it it sounds totally scary, but it, it's actually quite sad. You use either electrical currents or magnetic fields to change how the brain works. Mm. And my thought was, okay, what if I could create like a thinking cap? What if I could just make a tool that when you put it on, it put your brain into the right mode and boom, you just did your learning. And that was all my frustration came from this because no matter how much research I did or what I tried, it just wouldn't work. It worked for one person, but it wouldn't work for the other 10 or it worked for two people, but then the other eight would be nothing would happen. And then it occurred to me, I mean, that was where I just beat my head against a wall for years until I had one of my supervisors said, "Okay, stop. What if you're thinking about this the wrong way? Right now, your story is I can externally drive learning. What if the story needs to be you can't do that? That learning has to be an mm. internal momentum, that mm. it has to be personal. Yeah. In which case, you can't just use drugs or tools to change the learning. And when he said that, A, my first reaction is just to rally against it. But it's one of those crack moments where I remember just feeling like my brain was breaking, was cracking for about three or four days. And that was me just trying to reshuffle my thinking. And I came out of the other end of this realizing, wait a second, it's not about forcing people to do anything. It's about inspiring them to want to do stuff. And in that moment, that's when I, I, I really stopped looking at brain stimulation and ways to try and fix learning and started looking and said it, okay, what are the patterns, the motivations, the, the drives that lead people to learning and how do you engender that? And that's kind of where I've, I've come now with this book is to say, cool, if you're going to try and influence people, if you know, and, and here's 12 rules of how people learn. If you know these rules, you can tap into and play with mm-hmm. them better. You can bring them along on the journey rather than trying to force them to learn. Yeah. You can make them want to do it in a way that resonates with them. So yeah. it, was, it, it might That's sound cool. so simple to people, but to me it was such a momentous break. It, was it is a- momentous. And, and I'm so happy I went through it. Oh, my God. It's momentous in so many ways because, like, because look, here you are. Uh, you've written a fabulous book. And when we come back from break, we're going to go through what those – but what those items are that you point out to us. But yep. this is really fascinating for me in so many ways. And Benny, when we come back, we will go ahead and give away five copies of the book. Um, one of the things that happened along the way to preparing for today, I was talking to Linda about it. And Linda got a copy of the book, just like I have a copy of the book. And I went to page seven of your book. Uh, and I went to page seven. And it, it was kind of like if you see page seven and you see the script, To some people, they would say, oh, the dude's got a typo here. He's got like a whole paragraph that has no separations. And I said to Linda, there's nothing wrong with this. She says, can you read what it says? I said, of course. You know, reading aloud was facilitated 
by the way ancient texts were written, more specifically ancient texts containing no spaces between words, no punctuation marks, and no capital letters. In fact, if you go to your local library to museum, you will likely find many examples of ancient Greek and Latin manuscripts scrawled in this style. She says, what? How did you read that? Because for some strange reason, this really weird, bizarre learning thing yeah. looks at the entire paragraph and processes it all at once. So isn't that interesting? And when people listen to my show, they say I talk like that. When we come back, you're going to break down to us what these learning, beautiful learning insights. I don't even know where you got them from, Jared. Beautiful learning <laughs> insights will change your life will stop you from judging yourself and your children. And Jared will give you some insight as to how and why any one of us can be effective influencers if we just know these things. We're going to take a short break, Benny. We'll be right back. Interested in deepening your spiritual practice? The School for Esoteric Studies offers online training to spiritual seekers from all paths of life and individual coaching. Our courses synthesize Eastern and Western spiritual traditions based on meditation, study, and service applied to everyday life. To learn more about our courses and services, please visit www.esotericstudies.net. Has your buzz for life buzzed off? Feeling ignored, invisible, and wondering if this is really all there is? The years go by faster as we gain momentum. You're halfway there. Are you gathering speed or puttering out? Hit your stride for the liberating half of life. Comfortable in your skin? You can do better than that. Tune in to Discovering You Again Radio every fourth Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific as host Susan Axelrod encourages listeners to decide what they want, get inspired to action, and face challenges head-on. Host Susan Axelrod pulls no punches, encouraging you to grab the brass ring and soar. For more information about Susan, go to www.whatwillyourlegacybe.com. Tune in to The Jen Royster Show, intuitive guidance to inspire your life, each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This amazing show is an inspirational hour that will take you on an epic metaphysical journey to discover the spiritual approach to life's greatest challenges. Dr. Jen is an internationally known intuitive counselor, spiritual teacher, and energy healer. Call in for intuitive readings and visit jenroyster.com for more information. Are you searching? Are you searching? Are you searching? Looking for a sign? A message you need to hear? From the great unknown? From the most mysterious place? That is the most familiar to your soul in the depths of who you are? The universe puts someone here to talk to, someone God gave a blessing to that you may find insight with. TheAngelLady.net. 
Golden Otter Divinations Radio, where the metaphysical meets the mainstream with Autumn Seibel. Tune in the first Friday every month at 9 a.m. Pacific as Autumn, educator, health coach, and medium, explores metaphysical and mainstream strategies on how to elevate your level of conscious living. Draw in the abundance that is yours by divine right. For more information about working with Autumn, visit goldenotter.us. That's golden like the precious metal and otter like the precious animal.us. Hey, everybody, I'm telling you, we have five copies of this fabulous book to give away. And what I love about the book is this is a book for no matter what way you learn. There are pictures, there's text, there's examples, there's experiments. It is the way that this book is written by Jared uh, and Bob, the way it's written is written in a way so you can apply this. Stop talking, start influencing. And this is a book. What I would say, it doesn't matter what age you are, right? If you're thinking, I'm actually going to give a copy of the book to an 11-year-old, Benny, four copies of the book to give away. Let's start the process. 1-800-930-2819. Say hi to Benny. 1-800-930-2819. Four copies of the book to give away. Um, Jarrett, how can people find out more about you and your work? Let's make sure we're doing that. Oh, I was, so I am um, available online. My website is lmeglobal.net. So that's learning made easy. Um, and I've just, if you kind of Google my name, I've got videos everywhere. I've got um, little handouts. Just I've been working in education so long that there's plenty of learning material that I've just kind of put together. And it's all kind of out there online as well. So if you just look me up, you're going to find a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Don't you also have like a science of learning deal too? Yeah, so my other website is the scienceoflearning.com.au. Um, so that's my Australian website. I, th- I think you can access it in the U.S. But oh my God, I yeah, kind of... I'm like I was all over this. Oh, I was all first... over it. Um, so that one's got good. That one's got good, like twelve little videos on different yeah. learning techniques and and different it, um, other books that I recommend too on learning. Just a, a good resource on quick, simple ways to say, cool, if I'm going to give a presentation, if I'm going to teach, if I'm going to lead a meeting, what are some things I can do just to make sure this stuff sticks better? And uh, can I just say, uh, uh, when you go to that website, not only are you going to get free downloads, but there's podcasts here. There's a free podcast, free fact sheet, free videos. And I encourage everybody, like if you're not uh, out there to buy the book, why don't you go there? Because what you're going to be able to download is going to be able to download a fact sheet, a PDF. And so, all right, look, I want to get to it. I want to get to the beat of what I read. Very excited about the book. Here I am. And I know listeners are like, oh, she's going to talk about the ping pong thing again. Uh, <laughs> the ping pong thing is an example. But what I discovered along the way about this unique way that I learned is I can look at something spatially and tell you every dimension and aspect of it without even pulling out a ruler. But if you tell me how to hit a little white ball and you spend 15 minutes talking to me with instructions, it will not happen. But the minute that, you know, my teacher, Jin Lee, walked over to my side of the table, showed me exactly what to do, I got it. And what this is important, you know, to talk about, Jared, is your book tells, your book shows, and your book encourages us to step in and learn. Let's take people through 
the principles in the book. Now, we're not going to be able to get through all of them. Also, where can people get the book? Oh, I'm thinking you, I just wanted to mention, because you make a perfect point. I have a, a teaching philosophy. So whenever I'm teaching kids or if it's uni students, same thing, I'll say, if I can't get my students to experience a concept, to mm -hmm. actually live it, then I don't understand that concept yet myself and I'm not ready yeah. to teach it. Yeah, so, that's And that's what I try to do with the book is, is every chapter, even though it's a book, there's something to get you to feel it to really understand it. Like I'll, I'll make you do a quiz or a little game or an experiment. So mm. you go away and go, oh, I don't have to just take his word for it. I just lived that. Now I get what he's talking about. And that's one of the biggest experiences is the easiest, quickest, best way to learn anything. Mm -hmm. If you can get someone to feel it, congratulations, you, you win. That's the game. I love it. So, oh, that's so that's I'm glad you noticed that. Yeah, that that was my goal with this book. So I'm glad it's coming across. And I, it, it, it's available. If you're interested, it's available everywhere. It's it's on yep. Amazon.com and Booktopia and all the big ones there. So it's definitely online. I don't know. I haven't been to the US um, in a couple months. So I don't know if it's in bookstores. But if you ever see it, I'd be happy to know if it is. That sounds pretty cool. I'll check I know it it's out. in bookstores in Australia. Got it down I'll here. I'll check it out. Yeah, no, I'm telling you, uh, let's go get this book. All right, 12, let's call them 12 what I call genius, <laughs> genius ideas to help us learn. Let's so go let's, through people and give folks a rundown and let's see what we can share today. Beautiful. So I think what I'd like to do, so I've kind of picked out some of my favorites. Okay, so where I'm going to start, and this is this is kind of a general theme that pervades the book, and I'm going to talk about it more specifically here, is and learning rule number one, and everyone kind of hates it because it sounds fluffy, but it's not, is you have to get your story right. So remember earlier we were talking about if you think about playing ping pong, your brain starts to change in the same way as though you were actually playing ping pong. So as far as the brain is concerned, it doesn't really differentiate between your thinking and your doing. It treats it all pretty much the same. So for this reason, the stories we have about our learning, about our ability to learn, will literally dictate what we can and cannot learn. So for instance, if we say, if we have the story that, you know what, I'm just not good at math and I'm never going to be good at math, it just sucks. Cool. Now when you sit down to study math for five hours, all that information comes into your brain and it essentially bounces right back out. It just doesn't find a home because your story doesn't allow it to coalesce. But if you simply change your story to say, you know what, with effort, I can do math. This is something I can learn. Now that five hours of study, that information comes in and it finds a home. You didn't do anything different other than change your underlying story, your, your underlying concept. And that changed how the brain responded to the information you were bringing in. So step one for everyone, adults, kids, everyone, is what is your learning story? And if you think something is out of reach, congratulations, your brain goes, yep, we're going to make that out of reach, no problem. But if you change your story and say this is doable, your brain will physically switch and say, that's what we're doing today, cool. And it will allow that Did I lose you guys? I think you may have just for a second, but keep going. 
Oh, sorry, but I don't know. Oh, my Skype decided it wanted to restart itself and update. Sorry about that. I love that. that because, you know, here's another learning experience in the world of radio. We probably just gave Benny a heart attack right there. Uh, because but it's all about I, living in the moment, right? It's about living in the moment. Okay, then. But, but here's what's cool about this. I love it because it so talks to what you were talking about. In the world of radio, Benny has a yellow light in the studio. Yeah. And when there is silence for any really short period of time, the lights flash. It is like a devastation just happened. Boom. And so, but I love that moment of silence because isn't that what your book also talks to? I mean, we couldn't have asked for a better demonstration, right? Um, so thank you, Skype, for starting again. Um, but but let's, let's pick up on what you were talking about, because we are talking about what we've learned now in science, about yeah. the various ways people learn. We've also learned about the various things that could interfere with learning, whether yeah, it's yeah. what I described or another case, nothing more painful than to watch someone try to learn something and watch their emotional level and emotional response to it yeah. completely take control of their life to the point where functioning does not happen. So in yeah. your book, I mean, you talk about all these different things that affect recall, et cetera, right? Yeah. And one of them, yeah, I think you got a big one there. One of them is is stress, is that stress response, is if you push somebody. So believe it or not, so the brain is largely a predictive machine. It just runs our stories and whatever we think should be happening, that's essentially what the brain allows to happen. So whenever something doesn't go to plan, we call those kind of error moments, those error alarms. So perfect example, when when my voice cut to silence – and everyone had that kind of jolting moment, that's your error alarm kicking in. Now, those moments are incredible for learning. If you, The more you can kind of drive those moments, the easier learning starts to happen because the, the system is primed to learn in those moments. Unfortunately, most people, when they hit those moments, they enter into a choice where you can choose to engage with it and learn, or you choose to shut it down, ignore it, and go back to normal. Most people, once the emotion kicks in like that, they choose to shut down. They make the conscious choice to say, ooh, that's too uncomfortable, I'm gonna go away. So one of the best things we can do for learning is to help people learn to recognize and embrace errors. When their understanding collapses, those are the moments we need to be sniffing out and jumping into. Now, of course, as always, once stress gets too complex, so there are some, some students we work with come from, say, traumatized backgrounds, or they're having really, really bad days uh, at home. In those instances, once stress becomes too far, no learning will ever occur. Essentially, the learning process shuts down. And in those instances, there's no use trying to get someone back on track. The best thing we need to be doing is just calming down the stress response. If we can't get somebody to feel safe in those moments, it doesn't matter how good of a teacher or how good a material we have, no one will be learning anything. So you got to know when it's time to just draw the line and say, well, that's enough. Now we're moving on to pulling you back emotionally. And that's all I'm worried about at this point. And you know what? I don't want people to worry at all. So I'm going to go ahead and 1-800-930-2819. How about another copy of the book? 
1-800-930-2819. Um, look, as I went through the book, first of all, the, the way you've written the book is just beautiful. I want to hop to something that apparently seems to both a blessing and a curse in our pop culture, at least here in the United States, but more importantly, even in organizations. And it's multitasking. And let me tell you why. Um, once upon a time, people would say multitasking is horrible. Now, in today's business world, if you cannot multitask, you are multi-gone. And so this multitasking idea, I think what we're talking about at the moment is going to be the most critical part of the science that you're putting in the forefront. Because yeah. businesses give you so much work, right? Corporate America right now, in order for you to ever do your job, if you are not multitasking, you're a multi not getting it done. So like multi failing. So yeah. tell me about multitasking and the contents of learning and the science you have. Now, here's here's the bad news. Uh -oh. There has never been a human being ever that can multitask. It is not that. it is not a difficult thing. It is a physically impossible thing the way the brain is set up. And you know what's funny is I guarantee you there are going to be some listeners right now who are saying, "Well, yeah, most people can't multitask, but I can." No, no. I promise you, if you think you're good at multitasking, you're one of the worst multitaskers we know. You just don't <laughs> recognize how bad it is. So let's put it simply. So, okay, we've, the brain has two different modes. One of them we'll call um, predictor mode, which is kind of our autopilot, and one we'll call active engagement mode. Now, to be fair, you can do uh, something on autopilot while focusing on something else. So in that instance, you can multitask. For instance, I can drive my car while listening to the radio. And in that instance, the car driving is just on autopilot. I'm not focused on it. It's just automatically happening. And I'm focused on the radio. But you notice in this instance, as soon as I need to focus on the driving, so for, if I have to find a parking spot or a house number, what's the first thing I do? I turn down the radio. I can actually feel myself switching on to the other task. So it turns out we can only consciously focus on one task at a time. And the best we can do beyond that is just jump back and forth really quickly between other tasks. Now what starts to happen is when we're doing all that jumping, the first thing that happens is our rule sets start to get confused. So in order to do any task, you need to set what's called your attentional filter, your rule set. And unfortunately, you can only hold one rule set at a time. So when I'm jumping between rule sets, slowly they start to blur and things start to get confused. And you notice this if you've ever been talking to someone on the phone while writing an email and you start typing what you meant to be saying or you start saying what you meant to be typing down, you start to see this kind of uh, integration where things get confused. So first, your accuracy starts to drop. Things start to go haywire then your timing starts to slow down. So it takes a lot longer to do tasks when you're jumping between them than it does if you just stop and focus on one at a time. Mm -hmm. And the final thing is your memory system essentially shuts down. So all the learning you do when you're multitasking goes into secondary memory networks, which are largely subconscious. They're hard to access. So this means if you try to do something while multitasking, you move slower, you perform worse, and you remember less. If you would just take whatever tasks you were trying to jump between 
and just do one. Focus 100% on one till it's done, then focus 100% on the other till it's done. You will not only move faster, your work will be better, and you'll be able to do it easier in the future because you will have learned it. Mm-hmm. It's one of this, the easiest, simplest scientific rules we've found. Mm-hmm. Yet nobody seems to adhere to it, unfortunately. Well, yeah, because I don't think we understand it. But can I ask you a question along this line? Because, yeah. um, boy, I, I can't believe I'm sharing so much about myself here today. Um, so here's the thing. Linda's known me since 1972, and she will be my witness. When I do things like... I could be doing a radio show. I could be building a website for one of our clients, uh, whatever that is. All throughout my education years, whether it be undergraduate or whatever, it was very hard for me to learn and do in silence. So on any given day, if you walked into my learning space, you'd find the radio on, the TV on, and me working away like it's nobody's business. Yeah. Most of the time, coming in the room, everybody turns everything off. And I have a moment of panic. I don't think that's the same at multitasking. There's something about visual stimulus that moves me forward. But that's not the same as multitasking. It's something else, but I don't know what it is. No. So what we call that is stochastic resonance. So it's it's a very coherent thing. The different now the issue is some people need noise, some people don't. Right. So I'm I'm like you. I when I did my thesis, <laughs> I wrote that entire thing in a pub just cuz I need that much noise around me to focus. Whereas my wife, if she ever does anything, she needs complete silence. So what <laughs> happens is is some people we can take in noise into our system and we can convert that noise into whatever we're trying to focus on to make it easier for us to focus. Um, I wish it, this is so much easier to demonstrate visually. Um, (laughs) So you're just gonna have to kind of take my word for it. But essentially the noise enters the ears, we don't focus on it consciously, and we just convert it into a signal that helps people like you and I focus more on what we're reading, on what we're writing. It helps laser focus us. Um, now again, yes, the issues are, of course, one, it's different for everyone. And two, it only works so long as it's noise. So if I put on a CD that I've heard a million times, that's so predictable to me, I can just convert it into noise, let it play while I'm focused on reading. But if instead I put my iPod on, say, shuffle, where every two to three minutes a new song comes on, that's not really noise anymore. That's drawing my attention. Every couple minutes I'm going, oh, that's a good song, or ooh, I don't like that, skip, skip, skip. And that's now multitasking. So there's a real fine line, but it does play a different game. And honestly, if you've ever seen someone like a kid who is sitting in class and they're just kind of moving their knee a lot, like have you ever seen that where they just kind of bounce their foot around or just are moving their arm or they have the fidget spinner? That's the same process. They're just trying to add noise into their body because it actually helps them focus. So there is something to be said for that. Yeah. You know, you have put so much in the book and so easy to really absorb and pick and choose, right? And to decide, what do I want to get better at learning? We have a few minutes left. 
um, what I'd like to do is please tell folks your website again. And then I want to ask you, I mean, there's so much we talked about, but there's so much we didn't. I'd like you to, to just zoom in on one of these yeah. that would help people in the busyness of our day. And thank you oh. for joining us today. No, thank you. I, I would think um, my all-time favorite one, if there was one nugget that I'd like to give across to people, it's the issue of recall. So we've, we've always dealt with, okay, how do I form deep, lasting, uh, effective memories? And for the longest time in research, we were always looking at how do you put information in to form deep memories? Like, does it have to be emotional? Does it have to be repetitive? What does it have to have? And it turns out we were looking in the wrong spot. The secret to a deep memory isn't how the information went in, it's how you take it out. Every time you access information from your brain, recall it, that memory gets deeper, better, stronger. So this is why something like Game of Thrones, I've only watched it once. So oh. I've only put that information into my head one time. But I've recalled it so many times since oh. that I have the deepest memory for that show. It's incredible. Whereas something like the periodic table or for you statistics, I've studied that probably five times in my life. So I've put that information a ton into my brain. But I couldn't tell you anything about it now because I've simply never brought it back up. So once you recognize that the secret to memory is recall, you start to notice how little we use recall and how much we can start to rely more on that. So when it comes to learning, when it comes to working with our kids, with our students, with our colleagues, how often do we just get into this pattern where we tell them, where we teach them, where we give them, instead of saying, okay, your turn. What do you remember from last week? Or what do you recall from last meeting that we just had? Or can you show me again what we just did yesterday? Those recalls are what's actually going to drive the deeper learning. So once you kind of make that shift and you realize, how am I asking people to pull information out? That's the, that's the key to everything. And if you think about it, that's really, for the longest time, we thought we remember emotional events better because they were so strongly emotional versus neutral events. And now we know that's not true. The only reason we remember emotional events so well is because we think about them so much more than non-emotional events. It's not the input, it's the fact that I think about that argument, that I run that argument in my head a hundred times, or that really sad movie. It's the thinking about it, the recall. So how much more can you get people to do the recall rather than you handing them the information? And that's gonna drive learning mm -hmm. exponentially. Wow, thank you so much for doing no, this show thank today. You. Boy, thank I hope you you'll guys. come back because there's so much I do wanna talk with you about, so much. And also, I want to talk with you when you do come back about how the learning aspects of what you've written in the book transcend age, right? Yeah, uh, or absolutely. transcend for a lot of people what we like to call IQ. Thank you so much for today. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.